Coming to us out of Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, give all diligence, Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you, abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And down to verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is the Word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Anybody see this, what this is? That's yeah, an extension cord. What's it good for? Sending the reach of an outlet to the item that can't quite reach with its own cord. Okay. What else is it good for? Attitude adjustment. Attitude adjustment. Okay. Anybody else? Nobody ever uses these to hold the trunk shut? Yes. No. Tie a load down? Yes. Wrap it around stuff? Yep. Use it when you couldn't find a belt. <laughs> Lots of different things, right? Yep. Is this thing 
was designed for any good if there is no electricity available. It doesn't really extend electricity if no electricity is there, right? So if we didn't have electricity, this wouldn't need to have been invented for that purpose. But we do, right? And this morning I want to suggest to you that there are things that we see as commonplace because other things are in place, but we don't necessarily do that with our walk with God. This is necessary to get power from one place to another if your cord is too short. But only if you have power to plug it into and something that will need that power to run. So think about that this morning as I share with you something. There are things in our lives that seem like a good idea at the time. (laughs) You ever heard yourself say, well, it was a good idea at the time? There are things we have that are ideas and things that are not ideas. Helping people is a good idea. Feeding the poor, the hungry, good idea. Clothing those who have no clothes, good idea. Telling others about Jesus, good idea. Encouraging people who are lonely, smiling, all good ideas. There are a lot of good ideas out there, aren't there? But today I want to talk to you about something that is an idea versus something that's born of faith. In Scripture it talks about something that's called dead works. Dead works are things you do before you come to faith. They're works with no faith. In our lives, we have an opportunity to see that those things are quite obvious in the world around us. We're encouraged to um, give 60, um, help one another, uh, be kind. All these things are ideas, but they're not based on faith. They're based on what human effort can do to make the world a seemingly more pleasant place. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good idea. It makes sense. But there are things in Scripture called good works that are not dead works. Dead works, again, are things that are done before faith is involved. Good works are what happens after faith has come in. Good works are inspired not by good ideas, but a relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes when the Holy Spirit empowers somebody to do something that has kingdom significance, even if it's the same kind of concept that was there before faith. We can do something without God and nothing come of it, but do the exact same thing by God's lead and it goes well. A lot of people get help. I've seen a lot of folks try to do things without checking God on it, it just fails miserably. But when God addresses it and says, I want my people to do this and raises His people up to do it, these are the good works that God is seeking His people to do to accomplish His purposes in the world. There's a difference between something that's a good idea but a dead work and a thing that's a a good work based on the work and will of God in faith. And that simple difference is why you're doing it. For us in those who were once walking in dead works without faith, each one of us fit that category, we were doing things because it made sense, it seemed like a nice thing to help somebody. 
or to do a good thing and do a good turn daily is what we said in Boy Scouts. And always speak. we didn't know um, whether a good turn was something that was needed or something that we should do that we thought was good. So we just did something good every day. That's what we strove for. In our faith walk, the motivation isn't so I can do something good for somebody else. It's so that I can please my Heavenly Father by doing what He's asked me to do. And He'll do the part that blesses and heals and restores. Because I can't heal or restore somebody. And you can. And so we look at our lives and we have these ideas. Here's some ideas for you. It's a good idea to talk about Jesus in church and with other believers. Without faith, it seems like it is not a good idea to do so in areas where it's not readily received. Without faith, that's not a good idea. However, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you realize you can praise Jesus Christ anywhere and there's no law against it. You may not be able to tell others about Him where you work if you're not allowed to, but your heart belongs to Jesus and you can praise Him out loud. I'll tell you the truth. We were moving one time um, many, many years ago in, our, in, in the 90's um, and we brought in two different people to give us an estimate on the moving costs. First guy came in and he was singing, praising God under his voice, going hallelujah, you know, loving the Lord, and just worshiping Him as he looked around, and he gave us a quote. Next guy came in and said, how much did you get quoted for? And he said, all right. And he figured it out. He said, I'll do this for this much. And uh, he said, this will equal about this much, less than the other guy. We went with the second guy because it was cheaper. Quote. However, he grossly underestimated how much weight there would be. And he wasn't charging us by the total that he gave us, but by the total per pound. And he underestimated to get the bid. Turns out, we would have saved several hundred dollars by going with the first guy. And, and here I was thinking after it, I'm thinking, why didn't I go with him? Why didn't I inspect the figures to understand them better? Why didn't I do that? And I said, because I was motivated by a good idea to save some money. But in the bottom line, the second group broke a lot of furniture, didn't really care what they did with stuff, and ended up basically being a miserable experience. And I'm assured of the first guy who said, we intend to be your movers for the rest of our lives if you're ever going to move again. And we want you to be completely satisfied or you don't pay. The other guy didn't say that. Now, who in their right mind would say that's a business-logical good idea? That if you don't like what we do and we spend all this time and gas to get your stuff from one place to another, you don't pay us. Who would do that? Unless it was someone that trusted more than a good idea to give them their life sustenance. Right? When he was walking around praising God, I'm thinking, is this guy genuine or is he fake? I had no idea. But I learned the hard way that people who belong to Jesus aren't afraid to let other people know, even in subtle ways. So it's a bad idea to talk about Jesus in publicly run facilities and schools. 
But it's a fantastic idea to praise Him in those areas if you belong to Jesus and try to get the Word out. The Gideons, God bless their efforts. They think it's a great idea to get God's Word in school. (laughs) Do you know why? Because they love Jesus. But it's a bad idea to do it. No, it's not. It's a fantastic idea because we love Jesus and we know those folks need it. It's not a bad idea at all. It's a wonderful thing to do. If God leads you there, then by all means, follow through with what God's called you to. It's risky. It can be dangerous and a bad idea by the world's standards, but not following God is a very bad idea according to faith standards because it causes something you don't want to have happen. Today I want you to lose your good ideas about Jesus and simply be in relationship with Him. I'm going to say that again in case you didn't want to hear that. Today, this morning, I want you to lose your good ideas about Jesus and simply be lost in your relationship with Him. Or found, if you wish to say it that way. So let's set the idea for this foundation of salvation versus the reality of it being an idea or a reality. In Ephesians chapter 2, we've read these verses a lot when we talk about grace and faith. Paul writes, By grace you've been saved through faith. There's no works here, is there? No works creating this salvation. You can't earn it, buy it, make it happen. You're saved through faith, which is your faith in what God's doing. And it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast about it. Why? Because we are His workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works. Not dead works. Good works. Which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Those good works. That God has some good works for all of us to be involved in. To do. To be in relationship with Christ, living out those works. It is God's work you're trying to do. So it's His idea. Not your own. As I said, dead works are what we would call pre-Jesus works. Or before you have the relationship with Christ. Dead works do not show your faith and no works do until you have faith. Now I want to explain to you a little bit about the urgency of this message. Jesus is um, very patient with us. I promise you, more patient with me than I deserve. And if you look closely at your life, you might say, yeah, me too. And I think it's because sometimes we forget who we're dealing with. In Hebrews chapter 9, we find the following verses. And this is what clued me into this. He said, Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood. He entered the most highly holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. 
4. If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Don't miss that. There are two things here. The blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. We say it so often in church, it kind of makes it feel like it's just a, a phrase. It is not a phrase. It's an actuality of God's own Son. The God that created you and me, that knows how to wipe us out with the wipe of His hand or the breath of His mouth. And He says, I'm sending My Son to you. It's His blood. His blood. My Son. Do not neglect My Son. God does not take people favorably who neglect His Son. His Son is very important to Him. And so, it says, it's the blood of His Son that cleanses our conscience. And I'm going, oh, I'll have a clean thought process. doesn't say that. doesn't say clean thought process. It's a cleanse your conscience from dead works. Dead works are the mindset that you're doing this because it's a good idea. Not a God idea. Not God inspired, but human centered, human focused, all about making other people's lives better without including God in it. Not being motivated by God, but because it makes sense. To cleanse your conscience from those kind of dead works to what? To serve the living God. And for a long time, maybe you've wrestled with this like I did. I used to think that the way you serve God is you serve people. That you develop relationships with them and try to lead them to Christ. That's how you serve God. It doesn't say that. It says you serve God by being in relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, and joining Him in what He's doing, and He will use you to bless the world around you. That He will do the work through you. For apart from Him, as we said last week, we can do nothing. Without Jesus, we don't get it done. Dead works don't get it done. I don't know how else to say that. But works based on the faith in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, those change the world. And God's trying to get us to stop thinking about doing it the way the world says and start doing it His way. So the blood of Christ says the world's way is not working for me. And I don't even have any conscience about wanting to do it that way anymore. I want to please God and let Him use me. And that's my only thought. That's a relationship thought. That is not a works thought. It's a relation. I don't know how to say this any better. I want to please God. Does that sound like a work to you? It sounds like I want to be with Him to be a part of His life and who He is and spend time with Him as much as possible to please Him in any way I can, whatever He says. I'm not about, okay God, I want to do this thing so you'll want me with you. It's not what He says. I want you with me and when you're with me, He says, I will use you to do the things that please me. The relationship comes first. 
It doesn't work any other way. We come to serve God and not to get it backwards. In the text for this morning, Peter warns us in verses 5 through 9. I read these just a moment ago, but they bear repeating. He says, For this very reason, giving all diligence, add. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is great. These are things you can do. The fruit of the Spirit are not things you do. It's what the Spirit does. These are things you can work on. These are things in your relationship with God and with other people you have a part in. So hear this list knowing that you have effort and work to do to do these things. He says, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. Well, knowledge, I, gee, I'm not so smart. How do I get knowledge? Study. Learn. We know how to add knowledge. This world is very much focused on education. Knowledge, you can do that. To knowledge, self-control. But I don't have any self-control, you might say. Not much self-discipline. You can learn. This is a learned trait. It is not a born with trait. No baby is learned with self-discipline. Uh, although you might say, but this person is better at self-control. This is self-discipline. Self-control. Some people are better at knowing how to do this. They're not better. They're doing it. They're working at it. It doesn't come easy. It's called working at these things. Working out the salvation by doing this. To your self-control, perseverance. Now, you know, perseverance, you go, but I, I don't have much faith, much strength. I can't endure this. I don't have much perseverance. Let me tell you how you get perseverance. You hang out another hour. You hang on another day. You do the work and hang on. Trusting that God has an answer soon enough. That you hang on one more minute. You can hang on ten more seconds. Yes. Unless your muscles are atrophied and your arms are falling off, you can do this. You can stand there having done all the same it says in Ephesians. You can still stand. You have work to do here. This is stuff that involves time, consistency, and effort. All these things, the Scripture says that we have a part. And if we're not doing these things, He's going to show us in a minute, we forgot what God's trying to do in our lives. And with them. And we're trying to do it the old way again. Remember, self-control, uh, virtue, knowledge, all these things are things that we don't seek after if we don't want a better world. They're things that we seek after if we don't want, uh, don't seek if we don't want a better life. But there are also things we don't seek after if we do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to be virtuous for Jesus. That he would see me and say, that one has some virtue. That one has self-control in my kingdom. That one has knowledge. That one has perseverance. I can use that one in better ways. To improve my serve. By learning these things. Does that make sense? To perseverance add godliness. It doesn't mean to be godlike. It means that your godliness, in other words, you're trying to be in relationship with Jesus Christ and holy in what you do because of who you belong to. That you want to please Him by your behavior. Godliness is very similar in nature to desiring that God be pleased with who you are. 
the desire that God-likeness be formed in you by drawing closer to God. Is that hard? No, not really. What's hard is not doing it and saying you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and excusing your behavior. Sooner or later, God's going to excuse you. Brotherly kindness is what we add to godliness. That's being nice to people. Kind to one another. Loving one another. And the word nice, I don't mean nice as in, oh, I'm a nice guy. It's not what it means. This means making the effort to seek to be kind. That your heart attitude for another is kindness, not bitterness. We had a yard sale yesterday. Christine was saying a little bit about that. One of the people who came by the yard sale had gone past it, went in the guy's yard, turned around and peeled out and tore up his yard a little bit. Mm-hmm. He was in our yard yesterday looking at stuff, and the other guy whose house he peeled out and came down the road walking and started cussing and raising a song at this guy. I'm going to quote this scripture. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love, none of that was there. I promise you he was not acting godly. There was no holiness, high esteem for the other. If he would have had that conversation with a godly attitude, he wouldn't have said the profanity and you need to do something about it. Ready to ready to rumble, basically. Ready to fight. He just had his fists balled up. He was ready to go. The other guy, aggressive, responded. What if the guy would have come up and said, Hey, when you're done with the yard sale, I would like a word with you. Or waited. Persevered, waiting. Uh-huh. And a guy comes off to his truck and he says, Listen, would you mind coming by my house? I want to show you repeal that. Maybe we can work something out. I'm upset about this and... and and I know you may not have meant it, so let's take a look and see if there's a reasonable solution. Thank you. Have gotten further? Yes. Now you see, you're saying, but wait a minute, the guy was in the wrong, he did all this, so the guy's justified being angry. Well, listen to this. The guy goes back home waiting for the guy to come back. Right? What conversation do you think this guy's going to have with everybody else about that guy because of his attitude? Well, he's such a loving guy, I think I want to go to his house and get shot. Is that what he's going to say? He's going to say something about, this is a dangerous situation, the guy's volatile, I don't know if I even want to get close to his house, I'll avoid him for weeks. Until he forgets what I drove. Here's the first thing he said. Do you know if the guy got my license plate number? Protective mode. Because aggression is not godliness. And he's having this conversation and he says, I ain't going back there. You kidding? This guy's crazy. Came up here in, in front of your house doing that. I don't think I'm going to be around anything like that. But what if the conversation would have been like this? And he had the conversation that was kind. If he would have said the conversation, and the guy goes back to his house and goes, you know, he respected me. He didn't embarrass me in front of my wife or strangers. He didn't do anything but treat me with respect. I'm willing to see what we can work out as men. Godly men. In a godly way. In the right way. And peaceably. Do you see the difference between brotherly kindness and not there? 
It says, add to brotherly kindness, love. And this is the tricky one. Because it's a spiritual fruit. Do you think maybe, and I'm just throwing this out here, that the fruit of God's Spirit and the work of His kingdom begins in more greater earnest after these things are in place in your life? That you've done some hard work while God's preparing the work for you to do and the fruit for to grow through you. You think maybe God's using this time when you first find Jesus Christ as a proving ground and tilling and molding and shaping you and growing you? You think maybe God's trying to do that so that He can see how much of who you are is left after He's been enthroned over all of you? How much of your will is going to run your life and how much is His? It's a good question. One I invite you to wrestle with. So Peter warns us about this thing and he keeps going. He says, um, if these things are yours, the, the list of things we just went through and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful. You will have the fruit of the Spirit. It will abound and you will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things. And if we've ever said, Oh, I just don't have self control. I can't persevere. I don't have enough, you know, patience. Here's what we're saying I'm short sighted, thinking it's okay, justifying. Peter even says that we're blinded and we forgot that God has cleansed us from those problems. Not so good. Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, is it okay to sin knowing that we'll be forgiven after we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ because He's gracious and we get more grace? Shall we continue in sin so that grace can be bigger? Is the purpose of grace to forgive us for sins we want to commit? <laughs> no. No, it's not. Even says God forbid. Lands have mercy. Lord have mercy. No. If you want to get even more um, slang, heck no. <laughs> Sin is never okay. I, I don't know how to say it. Sin is not okay. You don't need to justify it, excuse it, or reason it out. It's not okay. Jesus Christ came and gave His life's blood because of sin. Sin is not okay in any form or fashion. When we think it's okay because I can't do this or I can't do that, to do this sin, we're telling God that our sin problem and our problem is bigger than the blood of Christ. Rather than saying, I am not a patient person. Lord Jesus, come into me. Restore me. Give me a heart of patience and perseverance that I may please You. Here's how we do it. God, I need patience. Do it now. <laughs> Y'all ever prayed like that? I need patience right now. Give me patience, God. This person's driving me nuts. Give me patience, God. Don't let me kill him. Don't let me. They say stress is that feeling you get when you want to choke someone to death. Exactly. Stress is this. It's when you're a believer in Christ and the world's trying to tell you to do it another way and that you can't do it God's way. That creates stress. But not in us, in the world. 
Because we have peace with Christ. So I want to ask you, what does a repentant heart look like? A heart that has all these things in proper place. I'll tell you, Zacchaeus shows us a good example. And if you want to know the story, it's in Luke 19. Jesus is walking along the road. He sees Zacchaeus in the tree. He's trying to see him. And he stops and says, Zacchaeus, come, to my, come down. I'm going to your house. I'm going to eat with you today. Zacchaeus welcomes him in. People are grumbling that he's eating with a tax collector, the worst of all sinners in their mind because a tax collector pays their money and extra money so they can live better. Takes advantage of people so that they can live better than those people. No less. And so when Zacchaeus has had Jesus at his house, he makes a proclamation. It is not a proclamation based on a relationship with the world. It is not a dead works proclamation. Dead works don't sound like what Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus made a radical living proclamation. Do you remember what he said? It's in uh, Luke chapter 19. I'll read it to you because I don't want you to miss the beauty. It's on the screen as well. Zacchaeus says in verse 8, Look Lord, not look world, look Jesus. I give half my goods to the poor. Let me put it aside here. Does that sound like a good idea to you? Really? Right now, today, go home and give half everything you have to the poor. Does that sound like a good idea? Sounds insane. A man who's wealthy doesn't just get up and say that and go, hey, this is a good idea. (laughs) I've worked this hard swindling people. I'm going to give half it away now. It's not a good idea. It's a bad idea if you're working hard and you're greedy. You don't give a dime away. He says, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I've done anything by defraud, taken anything from anybody, by false accusation, I restore fourfold. So I'll require twice. He went the next smile. These are things born out of a relationship. Hear this. Zacchaeus' priorities changed when Jesus became real. The greedy man became generous. That which he hoarded, he gave away. His life was made on swindling, he restored it four times as much. This is not a good idea to imagine who's greedy. It is a fantastic thing to do to please God. People will look at him and go, that was a nice thing you did. Or that was crazy. Or I'll take some of that. But Zacchaeus wasn't looking at people's responses. He said it to Jesus. He didn't do it for show. He didn't do it to get a name for himself. He did it because he wanted Jesus to know that he loved him. I'm doing this because you giving me something that shows me this is worth nothing to me. 
My values and priorities changed, says Zacchaeus, when the relationship occurred. But, here's where we take this story to the next level. Let's look a few years down the road the direction Zacchaeus' life may have taken after that. Alright? You see, he may have had some regrets about all that money he's given away and all his goods and bitterness and resentment for losing his living status. He's no longer seen as wealthy, but now he's broke and poor. And he might be going, what did I do? What's wrong with me? I've given it all away. i got nothing now. Man, all for a second with this Jesus dude. That's stupid. What was I thinking? Or I could still be grateful and humble. Never forgetting where he came from and what Jesus did for him. And he's still helping others and serving God in prayer, sacrificing a life of peace and beneficence. That his life is based and modeled off that moment with Christ. Not based off the living he had before that. This morning, is your life based on your relationship with Jesus Christ? And that knowing who He is and what He does? Or is it based on an idea that He's, he's God? And, you know, one day I'll have to give an account, but I don't know what that means, really. <coughs> Do you know who you're dealing with when you speak of Jesus Christ? Peter did. He saw the power of God and His majesty on the Mount of Transfiguration. A lot of people seem to take Jesus as a nice guy who just wants to love us and save us. Like a floor mat or a doormat who will do whatever we want Him to do when we need Him to, with no part on our part to sacrifice or serve. It seems we've neglected the fact that Jesus is not a pushover. One day He's going to cleanse your temple either willingly or unwillingly on your part. He is God. He's not a good idea. He's God. He's worthy of servanthood or He's nothing but a phrase to throw around when you're angry or trying to show off your goodness to others who believe. God forbid you boast about your relationship with Jesus in any arena where you're not certain that they believe the same. That's what you think like if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. All I know is that we've come to a Lord who saves us from sure destruction. If we forget that, we start drifting back away from that. And our lives produce less and less and less for the kingdom. But when we draw near, He draws near to us. And He begins to fill us with His Spirit and His fruit for a life of good works in His name. I believe this morning that we each know and are not ignorant of how we live each day. 
that you know your life. And you know if Jesus is your first thought and your last thought and your favorite thought. If He's your favorite love and first love or if He's somewhere lower. And I have a quandary inside of me that I, that I want you to, to know. That at times, it's easy to get caught up in serving and not serve because of Him. But to be motivated by the things that please Him. Because in the midst of serving without trying to please Him, you can neglect someone who's standing there who needs help too. And say, I didn't come to serve you, I came to serve that person. You need to go away. <laughs> I don't know you. I don't want to help you. And I'm not saying that God is going to tell you to serve everybody when you please Him. What I'm trying to tell you is that if you're not working on your relationship with Jesus Christ, it may be that you have less of one than you think. Because... Salvation with Jesus Christ leads to service to Him. And He puts you in service to others where He's trying to reach them. This shall be greater and greater in your life and asking God to increase the influence you have for His kingdom. If that's not important to you, then was it important to you that God pulled you out of the mess to redeem you? Do you have gratitude for that? How much you've been redeemed is how much you will serve. That's the simplest way I can say that. That those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who don't know what it's like to be transformed won't be in the process of helping others do the same. If God hasn't touched your heart and made a significant difference inside of you, there's a likelihood of the chance that you won't believe He'll do it through you for others. If you haven't experienced and been to the mountain of God where the Israelites trembled and shaked because they were afraid to even get near it and say, God, I've never been to a place that was so holy. I've never been to holy ground where I've experienced you. And, and come away from that and say, God... I know you're holy no matter where it is. Wherever you are is holy. And you're in me so I'm holy. And I want to be a holy mountain for you. And when they come to that mountain, they're afraid to touch it. But we've come to something more scary than that in terms of power and all. It's God Himself through Jesus Christ. Have you met that kind of life-shattering, earth-changing circumstances where God reached in and transformed it? And you knew He did. Have you been to the well and drunk the water of everlasting life that never goes dry? Or are you still drinking at empty wells? Are you still looking for solutions to protect your ground like the guy down the street from us who has a reputation to this day for being very protective of his yard? Or are you a person who's very protective of your relationship with Jesus Christ and you want to grow it and nurture it in ways that bless others? Where are you in your faith? 